Welcome to the Sunday evening service at Bible Baptist Church in Hampton, Georgia, where Pastor Lauren Regeer opens God's Word each week to provide us with biblically-based teaching that helps you meet life head-on. Thank you for joining us, and may your hearts be blessed as God's Word is taught. And now, here is Pastor Lauren Regeer. Amen. Wasn't that good? It's okay to say amen in our church. We, we allow that, but that was a wonderful job. Men appreciate that very much. If you have a Bible tonight, trust you do. Let's go to Judges chapter 13. Shall we? Judges chapter 13. Someone has said you could rightly call the book of Judges the book of failure because for 400 years, God uh, really worked through uh, His people through occasional leaders called judges. Samson was one of those, and you could really title his life the life of wasted potential. In Judges chapter 13, we'll look at that story a little bit, draw some life lessons from this judge, who by the way, and I don't think it's really uh, ancillary or really unimportant, but he did make, in Hebrews 11, uh, the, the hall of fame, right? The hall of faith. He, was, he gets a passing mention, and when God puts your name right in the Bible, it must be because you've done something good, at least in that chapter. And so we know that although there's many uh, difficult things to look at in his life, many lessons to avoid. He did uh, uh, certainly uh, fulfill at the end of his life a kind of a return to Christ. And so we're thankful for the, the, you know, the influence that he does hold in the place in the history of Israel. Let's pray together. Father, thank you again for the word. We pray that you'll direct our thoughts tonight. And uh, I pray that we would be sensitive to how we can grow and change. In Jesus' name, amen. Before I read some of the, the, the verses here in chapter 13, let me just, uh, since it is the basketball March Madness, and you all have your favorite, to most of you do, let me just from, uh, from back in the, the 80s give you kind of a, a lesson of wasted potential from a basketball player by the name of Len Bias. I don't know if any of you are old enough to remember that name or not. I am. <laughs> and I do remember a little of his story. I researched a little bit this week about his life story. It wasn't very long. He died at 22. But at six foot eight, Len Bias remains a poster child for unfulfilled expectations or unfulfilled potential. He died in 1986 at age 22. As I mentioned, it is one of the saddest what-if stories in basketball history, at least in our country. Len Bias was a contemporary of Michael Jordan. He was the number two draft pick in 1986 in the NBA, coming out of college. Some say he was a Superman in a basketball uniform. He'd played, of course, uh, had he played in the NBA, no doubt we'd be, he would be today known as a Hall of Famer, possibly on the level of a Michael Jordan, certainly as gifted uh, a player in terms of raw talent as Michael Jordan. Explosive quickness, one of 10 players to win multiple ACC Player of the Year awards, the only player to average 25 points and 10 rebounds per game in the NCAA tournament since the seeding began all the way back in 1979. Len Bias had a ton of basketball potential. Well, it was him, not Jordan, who was named the 1984 ACC Tournament MVP. These are just trivia things about Len Bias. But Len Bias died at age 22 from a cocaine overdose in Maryland, the dorm room, after partying with his friends. His life really becomes a question mark. He couldn't control his own desires for drugs, and his party life ruined all 
future potential for him. Samson is a bit like that. Tremendous, tremendous potential for God. And yet because he had an area of his life that could not be disciplined and controlled, Samson goes down in the annals of history as a, we could say it, as a loser, really, not doing what God, fully accomplishing what God desired for him. Some of you remember in Greek mythology the story of this person. I'm going to do one of these who am I things. In Greek mythology, I was born to Peleus and Thetis. I was the bravest and strongest warrior in Agamemnon's army. When I was a child, my mother Thetis or Thetis dropped me, or dipped me, not dropped me, dipped me in the magical waters of the river Styx. I became invulnerable, except for where my mother held me by the heel. Later in life, I perished when an archer shot me in the heel. You know me as Achilles. What is your Achilles heel? What area of your life have you not tended well? You say, I'm doing pretty good. I check out pretty well. I go to church. I have my devotions occasionally. I sing at the right times and sometimes on the right note. But there is an area of my life that seems to be just unguarded. Well, we'll look at the story tonight or the biblical narrative of this man by the name of Samson, whose name really means sunshine. What a name. The sunshine brought a lot of clouds, the pages of Scripture. Let's begin reading where the story begins in chapter 13 of Judges. We're going to notice he was the son of great privilege. He had great parents. And sometimes we think, you know, uh, great parents ought to just automatic, automatically produce great children. And typically, generally, they do. But here's an exception. The children of Israel did evil, verse 13, chapter 13, verse 1, in the sight of the Lord. Again, it says, And the Lord delivered them into the hand of the Philistines forty years, neighboring country. And there was a certain man of Zorah, the family of the Danites, whose name was Manoah. His wife was barren. She is unnamed in our text. She... Uh, Bear not, no children in this household. And the angel of the Lord, we do believe this is a Christophany, a pre-incarnate appearance of the Lord himself, appeared to the woman and said unto her, Behold now, thou art barren, and bearest not, but thou shalt conceive and bear a son. This is a story oft repeated, isn't it, in the Bible? Now therefore, beware, I pray thee, and drink not wine or strong drink, and eat not any unclean thing. For lo, thou shalt conceive and bear a son. No razor shall come upon his head, for the son shall be a Nazarite unto God from the womb, and he shall begin, start to deliver Israel out of the hand of the Philistines. God had a purpose for this child, even in the womb, as he does for us, by the way. The woman came and told her husband, saying, apparently this, the angel of the Lord came to her alone. And so she tells the story to her own husband. A man of God came to me, countenance like the countenance of an angel of God, very terrible, awesome, impressive. But I asked him not whence he was, neither told me his name. But he said unto me, Behold, thou shalt conceive and bear a son. And the idea of the Nazor, or the Nazar word in Hebrew, was to separate unto God as a holy, called out treasure, the Nazarites. We're not to drink wine touch strong drink. They were not to cut their hair. They were set apart to the Lord, touch any dead, uh, any dead human uh, body. They were not to do that. 
They were simply to be given themselves totally in their appearance externally and in their heart to the special calling of being separated to the Lord uniquely. Well, verse 8, then Manoah entreated the Lord and said, O my Lord, he he prays to the Lord, let the man of God which thou didst send uh, come to me again. Teach us what we shall do unto the child that shall be born. And God hearkened to the voice of Manoah. The angel of God came again to the woman. It's interesting, isn't it? As she sat in the field, but Manoah, her husband, was not with her the second time. And the woman made haste and ran and showed her husband and said, Behold, the man that appeared unto me, that came unto me the other day, and Manoah is here again. And so Manoah rose and went after his wife and came to the man and said unto him, Art thou the man that speaketh, uh, speakest unto the woman? And he said, I am. And Manoah said, Now let thy words come to pass. How shall we order the child? And, uh, and how, shall we do un- how shall we raise him, basically? The angel of the Lord said to Manoah, Of all that I said to the woman, let her beware. In other words, let her take care to follow these Nazarite vows. She may not eat anything that cometh out of the vine, neither let her drink wine or strong drink nor unclean thing. Uh, All that I've commanded her, let her observe. Manoah said unto the angel of the Lord, I pray thee, let us detain thee until we shall have made ready a kid, a young goat for thee. And the angel of the Lord said unto Manoah, Though thou detain me, I will not eat of thy bread. And if thou wilt offer a burnt offering, thou must offer it to the Lord. For Manoah knew not that he was the unangel of the Lord. And Manoah said unto the angel of the Lord, What is thy name? And that when thy sayings come to pass, we may do thee honor. And the angel of the Lord said unto him, Why askest thou, or thus, after my name, seeing it is a secret or wonderful? Uh, and so Manoah took a kid, the meat offering, and offered it upon the rock unto the Lord, and the angel did wondrously. Secret things belong to the Lord, and Manoah and his wife looked on, and it came to pass when the flame went up toward heaven from off the altar that the angel of the Lord ascended in the flame of the altar. Manoah and, the, and his wife looked on, and they fell to their faces to the ground. This was indeed wondrous, wasn't it? The angel of the Lord did no more appear to Manoah and to his wife. Then Manoah knew that he was the angel or an unangel of the Lord. And Manoah said unto his wife, We shall surely die because we have seen God. But his wife said, a very practical woman, but his wife said unto him, If the Lord were pleased to kill us, he would not have received a burnt offering and a meat offering in our hands, neither would he have showed us all these things, nor would, nor would as at this time have told us such things as these. Uh, what point would it be for us to have a son if, they, if the Lord was going to just destroy our lives? Very smart-thinking woman. And the woman bare a son, called his name Samson, and the child grew, and the Lord blessed him. And the Spirit of the Lord began to move him at times in the camp of Dan between Zorah and Eshtaol. I want you to know, first of all, that this, this child was uniquely blessed of God. How many of you grew up in a Christian home? I mean, from early days. Most of you did. And this young man had all the privileges of great parents. Notice chapter 13, verse 8, the chapter we're in. They, uh, they had, he had parents that were prayerful. This man, Manoah, prayed. He said, Lord, he, he has a habit of reaching out to Jehovah God. I, my parents were like that. Often when I'd go to school, my mother could be seen on my way out. She would be seated in the corner 
where she liked to sit and have her devotions, and she would be praying for her children as we left the home. Oh, he had great parents. They were prayerful. They were purposeful. Verse 12, Manoah said, now let thy words come to pass. How shall we order the child? How shall we do unto him? Teach us, angel, with this special child coming to us. If your words come to pass indeed, what should we do? How should we, what should we do with this, this child? How should we raise, them, raise him? They were, he was also very careful. I mentioned that, verses 12 through 14. He was very careful. Uh, I want to make sure that you observe all these customs of the Nazarite vow. And uh, he said, I, I want to make sure that this, even from the womb, the mom, her, uh, mom herself would not, even during the pregnancy, would not partake of these things through the vine. They were worshipful. You see that in verses 19 through 20. So they uh, took a, a kid, a young goat, and offered it upon a rock to the Lord. They, they, were, they were careful that here's this uh, angelic visitor. They wanted to make sure there was a sacrifice given they're very worshipful, they're prayerful, purposeful, worshipful, careful, and practical. I already mentioned that. Uh, this uh, dear mom of his, we don't know her name, but she was uh, very just insightful. Said, honey, I think if, if God wants me to have this child, <laughs> he probably isn't going to destroy us for being a partaker of this, uh, this encounter with an angel. So he grew up in a great home. From all, from all appearances, this was a great home. His parents loved the Lord. Worship the Lord. We're careful about raising him uh, for the glory of God. And I want you to see, secondly, his great abilities. He had tremendous ability. As you know, we think about Samson. Even some luggage is named Samsonite, I guess. But there is uh, obviously the, 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 the well-known thing about Samson is this divinely enabled gift of strength. And there are all kinds of speculations in seminary. Well, did he look like a bodybuilder? <laughs> or was he just a, just a normal guy who God came upon for these great feats of strength? I tend to believe the latter. I doubt he had a gym, you know, where he worked out so that God could just kind of help him out a little bit. No, I think his reliance was upon God himself. And these feats of strength were so unordinary, extraordinary, that they had to be truly attributed to the miraculous power God placed upon his life. But it was a tremendous uh, wealth of, 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 of opportunity and enablement. He was a, not only a son of wonderful privilege, he had great parents, but he had great abilities. Look at chapter 14. We'll skip around a little bit. Verses 5 and 6. Samson went down and his father and mother, chapter 14, verse 5, and uh, to Timnath. And behold, a, a young lion roared against him. Some of you guys like to wear the camouflage and have these high-powered rifles and go out against these poor little deer. I know. I know who you are. I'm one of you. And, uh, but that's not hunting. This is hunting. And here he meets a, a lion in the pathway. A young lion roared against Samson. And the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him, and he rent him as he would have rent a kid. Now this, of course... And this lamb, a young goat, he just tore him limb from limb. And he had nothing in his hand, not a bow, not a rifle. He wasn't dressed in camouflage. He didn't have a hand grenade. It was just, just him and the, the lion. Now that is what I call true hunting. But he told not his father or his mother what he had done. So he has this great strength. Not only that, we know from the uh, next chapter 16, if you'll turn there, uh, the story, the, the account, the narrative goes on about when he was in the city of Gaza, of course, inappropriately there, visiting a woman, 
Um, of course, probably a prostitute. He was there often for those purposes, the moral purposes and decent purposes. But uh, the men were chasing him, chapter 16 and verses 1 through 3. Then went Samson to Gaza, or Gaza, and saw there a harlot, and went into her. And it was told the Gazites, saying, Samson has come hither. And they compassed him, in, circled around him, and laid wait for him all night in the gate of the city, and were quiet all the night, saying, In the morning, when it is day, we shall kill him. And Samson lay till midnight, rose at midnight. And this is what he did to the power of God. He took what? The doors of the gate of the city and the two posts and went away with him bar and all and put them upon his shoulders and carried them to the top of a hill that is before Hebron. Well, this, of course, Gaza is a city once conquered by the Israelites, now under Philistine control. It's the southernmost coastal city in Judah. And here he is spending the night ill-advisedly, and people would say that lived in that day that it was nearly, in this culture, in this time of the judges, it was nearly suicidal to even go to this area. Samson spends the night there. Not only does he uproot, I want you to notice his strength here again by the power of God, but he not only uproots these doors, post and hinge and all, what does he do with it? He rips these heavy wooden and metal clad doors puts them on his shoulders, and estimates range that, range that this, these doors weighed between 100 to a ton, 2,000 pounds. Put them on his shoulders. He just ripped them out of the gate post. Puts them on his shoulders. And, and, and here's what he does. He not only walks away with them after he uproots the gates of the city. This was probably the, most, the entry point of a city. In those days, the walled city was the most fortified point. He jerks them out of their roots, puts them on his shoulders, and he walks away. Not only walks, he walks uphill. And not only is it uphill, it's for Hebrews, suggesting, as many commentators, all you do have to do is go to your Bible maps. It could be between 30 and 40 miles he walks with this up a hill and plunks it down on the top. There, there's your gate to your city. This is a guy of tremendous strength. And... Um, not only is he strong, he's got great boldness. Samson was never at any time the least bit intimidated by the enemy. He had God-given power and he lived to dishonor. In fact, that was his calling to dishonor the enemies round about, especially the Philistines who were controlling, uh, they're the controlling par party at this time. So look at chapter 15, verses 15 through 17, back just a little bit. Uh, here he is. And we'll just read those verses. He's found, he, he's really surrounded and the people, the elders of, of Israel come to him and say, listen, or Judah come to him and say, listen, uh, we, we want you to, 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 to quit bothering our enemy. You're making it hard for us. And so he, he gives himself up to the enemy. He says, you men don't, don't bring me into custody, but if you, if you don't mind, uh, why don't you just, uh, as they will say, Brer Rabbit, throw me into the briar patch. Just take me and give me to the enemy. He has to be delivered to the 3,000, again, one against 3,000, and he slays over 1,000 with a hook-shaped jawbone of a donkey. Verse 15, he found a new jaw, verse 15 of chapter 15, he found a new jawbone of an ass and put, his, put forth his hand and took it and slew 1,000 men therewith. And Samson said, with the jawbone of an ass, heaps upon heaps, with the jawbone of an ass have I slain 1,000 men. 
He kind of bragged about that, but he had great boldness. He was never, in fact, he played the lying game with Delilah just to incite the enemy. He did not care. He thought he was invincible. Another thing God gave him was his cunning, chapter 14. If you'll turn there, chapter 14 and verse 12. On the way to his own wedding, of course, verse 12, uh, chapter 14, I'm sorry, I'm in the wrong one. Chapter 14 and verse 12, he's on the way to his own wedding. And Samson said unto them, I will put now, he's a smart guy, he's not, He's not a dullard. He's not, uh, he's not senseless. He has great strength. We're talking about his enablements, his wasted potential. He's great boldness. And he's got great wit about him. Samson said to them, I will put forth now a riddle, because of course he, he had killed this lion. Uh, some bees had swarmed and made a nest inside the, uh, the cavity of the dead lion. And he reached in there again. The Nazarite vow isn't clear about whether you can touch a dead animal or not. Dead humans you're not supposed to touch. But he, he's always pushing the envelope a little bit. He reached in there, of course, ate some of the honey. And so he came up with this riddle. I will put forth a riddle unto you. If you can certainly declare it to me with seven days of the feast, this marriage feast, and find it out, I will give you 30 sheets and 30 changes of garments. But if you cannot declare it to me, then ye shall... Uh, give me 30 sheets and 30 changes of garments. He was kind of making a deal if they could figure out his riddle. And they said unto him, Put forth thy riddle that we may hear it. And he said unto them, Out of the eater came forth meat. Now the strong came forth sweetness. And they could not in three days expound the riddle. Of course, they pressed um, Samson's wife, entice thy, uh, entice thy husband so that we don't have to uh, pay up Verse 14, that riddle comes from, it just had an unusual wit and cunning. He was, not, he was not a dumb person. He was greatly gifted by God. He plays mind games with the, the Philistines all the time, with the elders in chapter 15 and verse 10. And he does it with Delilah in chapter 16, always just seeing how close he can get uh, to ruination and destruction. Some say that he moved to a, an area over the Philistine camp or the Philistine area where he could stay in a cleft of the rock called Edom in Judges 15 just to spy on the, the, the Philistines and to be able to just get there to goad them a little bit. So he was, he was kind of his own intel, but he was always watching them, finding out how he could really nettle them. Smart guy. Privileged guy, strong man, bold man. Samson was not only smart, strong, bold, he had a humorous side. Now, he wasn't very in a good mood when he did this, but he did have a, a humorous or funny side to him. Chapter 15, here's what happened. After, of course, this thing roundabout came back and bit him a little bit, his riddle uh, Samson is a little bit irate. Samson went out and caught 300 foxes because his wife told the Philistines the answer to the riddle. He is very upset, very upset. And so he went and uh, <laughs> he caught 300 foxes. Verse 4, chapter 15. You there? We're kind of skipping around. How long does it take you 
to catch one fox. Herd them up, 300. Could be jackals as well. Put them in a corral. And it doesn't say in our text that Samson had any help at all. But he just came up with this crazy notion. Now, he could have taken torches and just, it's harvest time, June and May and June. And the fields are ripe to harvest in the Philistine area. He could have just taken a torch and lit the fires. I mean, he was bold, audacious. He, he, he's done this kind of thing, but he decides this time to have some fun with it. And so he gathers up 300 foxes and takes a torch somehow. Now, I don't know how you do this. I don't know if there's a YouTube video about this or not, where you take a torch and two tails of a, two foxes, tie it together and just set them loose. And and how does the fox know to run just toward the Philistine? I don't know. But anyway, so he's got this amazing strength. He's got this amazing boldness. He's got this amazing background. He's got these amazing parents. This tremendous wit and intelligence. I'm telling you something. This man had it all in terms of all this potential. For every evil thing you could say about Samson, God has uniquely graced him with great ability and a great home life. Let me just pause here before we wrap up with a couple thoughts. As I asked you, how many of you grew up in a Christian home and had Christian parents? I want to ask you a question. Are you following the, the Len Bias trail or the Samson trail and simply wasting this potential? Or are you investing it wisely? Do you have an Achilles heel? Samson had a weakness for women. He didn't guard the lusts of his own heart. In fact, when he wanted to get married, he said to his parents, go down and get a woman for me. And they said, isn't there a a woman of the Philistines? And they said, isn't there a woman in the Israelite camp that would uh, be a, a fitting wife for you. And he said, just go get her. She pleases me. That's, it's not that she had a, a common interest or that he, that he loved her love for the Lord. She was probably an idolater. She, he just saw her and was seduced by the way she looked and said, just just get her for me. That's not love, is it? Sure it isn't. So Samson, he wasted. Thirdly, he was the, just the son of wasted potential. He flaunted, first of all, his vows to God. Nazarite vows, Nazar, to separate unto God. No wine, no razor, no touching, a dead body. And all his life, his adult life, he was getting close as he could to the fences of his vow. Finally, after lying to Delilah long enough, she urged out of him the truth about his hair. His strength wasn't in his hair. After all, it was in his God. But he was always flaunting his vows. Secondly, he dishonored his parents' will. You see that, of course. In the first words of his mouth, I just want what I want, chapter 14, about that woman from the Philistine camp. People are sensual, live by that rule. She pleases me. Samson, how does she please you? Great conversationalist, I doubt it. Great cook, maybe. Great personality, I doubt it. 
We don't have anything in common. Her God isn't our God. Nothing more magnetic to a man, the form of a seductress. So he fell for her and he desired her and he focused on what he shouldn't have. He had a personal identity crisis. In fact, this is what he believed. Here's what he believed. Sometimes, men, maybe we do this. Well, I've had my devotions. I've paid my vows. I've gone to that seminar. In fact, I went to church four extra times this week, so I have a little spiritual vacation coming. As Samson would walk through the the streets of the cities there in Israel, people all, I'm sure, had heard of his legendary feats. I mean, you don't carry a thousand pounds, 40 miles, set it on top. You don't do that without getting in the press. I'm sure everywhere he went, not only in the camp of the Israelites, but in the camp of the Philistines, he was a little bit of a local hero. And he, as he walked about, I'm sure he had this, this collateral he used against the Lord. Lord, look at all the things I have done for you. Don't I deserve a little me time, a little vacation from God time, a little excursion into idolatry? I'll be back tomorrow. And he would play, wouldn't he, with his vows to God. He would stretch them and get as close as he could. Many times indiscreet about the way he lived. We know that he was immoral many, many times. But always jumping back in the saddle and saying, guess what, Lord, here I am. What's our next adventure? What's our next miracle? Everybody thought he was doing pretty well, but God didn't. He had an Achilles heel, didn't he? I wonder what yours is. I wonder what mine is. Lord, I've had my devotions, paid my vows, gone to church. I have some wild time coming. I want to sow some wild oats. I deserve a little vacation, a little getaway from God. Nobody needs to know about my forays into Philistia to Timnath, to Gaza, to Sorek. I'll be back. I'll be back next Sunday. I'll carry the offering plates. I'll serve in my office. I'll do whatever. But in our hearts, there is this thing called an integrity crisis. We're like a rotten fence post painted white on the outside, but just nothing but a shell on the inside. And soon, Samson would topple, wouldn't he? You may be looking good, but I wonder if God knows the truth. I do know that God knows the true story. Chapter 16, verse 5, they tell, uh, the men of the city tell uh, his wife, entice him, means to find a, a vulnerability. And we know what that is. For men, it may be different. From, for, and for every person, it's different. I'm told that 8 out of 10 Primetime shows contain openly sexual content, soap operas or anything but clean. Cable providers offer pornography 24 hours a day with a new pornographic movie made less th- every 30 seconds or less in America. And we are footing the bill in terms of sexual addiction in the church. One in five men, or at least that many, are addicted to pornography. So here we are. We have a great leader, a deliverer. And yet, he cannot be himself delivered from his own addictions. We know the end of the story, don't we? Our culture has become, just like their culture was, sex is everything. And it destroyed this leader. He compromised his personal purity. His eye led him into captivity, and his eyes were blinded by the Philistines. And the ultimate, you know the end of the story, 
he thinking he could just rise up and, and fight as before when Delilah cut his hair at night. The strong man whose name meant sunshine was blinded. Think about the irony of that. He brought great joy, great hope. At the end, the final analysis, his life was nothing but a destruction and a blight, a darkness. Delilah's name means the weak one. Think about that. The weak one conquered the strong one. If we walk in the Spirit, the Bible says, we shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. He, in so many ways, is a tragic picture of a wasted life. Although God used and God overruled, and yes, His name uh, it makes it into the hall of faith, God can still use us. Isn't, isn't it good that God's hand of mercy, we're talking about that today, God's hand of mercy extends and forgives and takes the broken pieces of our lives if we're faithful to repent and return to the Lord. And he did in a party that the Philistines were having after they had blinded him and used him really as nothing more than a, an ox, a grinding grain after those months in jail, blinded by his own sinful pursuits and the consequences of that he was made sport of, made fun of. They said, bring out Samson. And there in this party, this two-tiered party house the Philistines had, it was said there were 3,000 party goers there. That must have been a big place. He asked the servant boy, just lead me to the columns that hold this place up. He had made his peace with God. His last, his last act was to push those two columns apart again. Given God, his hair began to grow back again, a symbol of his strength returning. And he won a tremendous battle and he lost his life in it. But I think the saddest thing about this story is not that there's just this great guy and, oh, what could have been written of him if his heart was right. The saddest thing, I think, is in Judges 16 and verse 20. And she said, the Philistines be upon thee, Samson. This is after his hair was cut. Third time, he wakes out of his sleep and he says, I will go out at other times as before and I will shake myself. I've tricked her again. What does the Bible say? He wist not, Judges 16, 20. He wist not that the Lord, he knew not that the Lord was departed from him. And I'm going to say this to all of us. We can get to the place, can't we, where we think that because we're doing a few things externally and because people around us believe that we're okay, because we're still doing great things for God, that maybe God hasn't noticed. He didn't know that God had abandoned him. Are you going through life breaking your vows to God continually behind the scenes, flaunting your walk with God by saying this, I'm going to get as close to the devil as I can get. Internet. Facebook, I'm just going to play. I'm just going to walk on the edge. And, and, and I think I'm okay to come back. I'm going to go to the edge. Every once in a while, dip over 
And I'm going to come running back to Israel. I'm going to go spend a night in Gaza and Sork and so forth. And then I'm going to come running back. You're going to find out that obviously God never leaves the life of a believer. Never. We can't lose our salvation. But you're going to find out God does abandon us in terms of power and usefulness. He didn't even know that God wasn't walking with him anymore. Let's bow our heads together, shall we? Thank you for joining us today. Please tune in each week for new messages from Pastor Lauren Regeer at Bible Baptist Church in Hampton, Georgia. Until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face shine upon you.